Welcome to Fundamentally Human, a podcast about mental health topics unpacked in an easy-to-understand way. My name is Shervin, and I'm your host. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you're all doing well. And before we get started, please do follow my Instagram at Therapy with Shervin if you'd like to connect with me. It's something that I've been working hard on the past few months and I post daily. So it's been a nice way for me to be creative and share more on mental health. And for today's episode, I'm joined by Jamie Bower. Oh shoot, is it Bower or Bower? <laughs> uh, it's, it, it is Bower. But Bower. <laughs> I've heard Bower so many times that it's not even, it's fine. <laughs> you know what? I'm probably going to leave that part in. This is what happens when you read something and then you've practiced it in your head and then you realize yeah. you don't know which one it's called. So for today, <laughs> I'm joined by Jamie Bower, who That's is great. going to talk with us about what we can do for our what we can do to work on our mental health outside of therapy sessions and how we can create a supportive environment around us. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Thanks for having me. I am really excited to chat today. And thank you for being here. I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself to the listeners, please. Yeah, you bet. Uh, my name is Jamie Bauer. Uh, I'm co-founder <laughs> of Enabled You. Yeah, I live here in Canada and uh, just outside of Calgary. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a husband, father of four kids, and uh, I guess dad to a, a new puppy. So um, I like to stay busy, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me. My background is actually as a commercial electrician. It wasn't until I moved uh, with my wife and our small kids to Sweden <clears throat> a few years ago that I met my co-founder. And since then, everything has changed. And we're starting a company that's helping to normalize vulnerability and help friends to, to be, I guess you could say the friends helping friends platform. And that's actually how Jamie reached out to me. He saw my podcast and he has a lot of interest in mental health and wanting to reach out, connect and network with other people on the platforms or on, um, or on, for example, I think you found me, was it through podcast the podcasting network i i'm trying to remember now um i think so i'm Mm -hmm. honestly i couldn't i couldn't remember it was a while ago so (laughs) it was a while back i remember you had sent me an email and the first line was something like this is not spam (laughs) (laughs) that that worked (laughs) trying to differentiate between me and like uh you know a chat gpt automated uh message or something so I'm like, oh, I'll just write normal words that people can understand, <laughs> not try to be fancy. And it's what really caught my eye because a lot of the spam messages I get are usually about SOE or trying to optimize my website and things like that. Yeah. And I can tell right away. Or if oh, yeah. it's sending money to some account, then I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's a spam. Unless they're yeah. sending money to me, then no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm so yeah. glad you reached out because it ties in really well with our topic today of creating that supportive environment of how hard it is to make friends. And as you get older in your late 20s and your 30s and so on, honestly, after school, after whatever kind of schooling you're doing in your 20s or high school, it gets really hard to make friends. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, it's it, high school is like an incredible incubator for, you know, relationships. And I don't know if it's just me, but um, few of those relationships last after high school. I have a few people that I'm still in touch with from high school and everyone else. It's more like I'm interested in their life at like a, you know, look at them on Instagram level, but uh, not not enough to actually pick up the phone and call them or uh, do something with. So do you find that too? Like, mm-hmm. I remember when I was younger, I would have a little book just to write down people's phone numbers and addresses. <laughs> and I didn't have things like Snapchat or Instagram till at least university. And I didn't have data on my phone or internet mm-hmm. on my phone until I, yep. I was in my 20s too. So yep. for me... Yeah, I know that a lot of the younger folk now have iPhones and Instagram and all of that in elementary school. So I can't imagine, honestly, what it would be like growing up as a teenager now. I think I would have a much harder time than I did when I was younger. It would definitely present a whole new level of um, opportunities for distraction, let's say, and its own set of challenges, mm-hmm. right? Like Facebook, when I first had it was just online. And I can still remember the day when uh, I used a cell phone that had internet and we were inside of a mall, my wife and I, and I grabbed my wife's phone and she's like, here, you can use it. Like you can go on the, on, on the, on the internet. I just remember like standing in the mall like, oh my goodness, I'm using the internet, not at a computer. <laughs> that was like the first time. And I re- that was like such a weird, pivotal moment of like the opportunities are endless now. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is, ins- this is crazy, you know, to be able to carry the internet in your pocket. That was a, that was a real interesting point in my life. It re- also reminds me when I was younger, you know, after school, you would go to the playground and play with your friends, or the only way you would see your friends is if you called their home phone number, then maybe you make plans to go to the park or the mall, and you hopefully find and see each other at this one store, because there's no other way to really meet. And you would have to get really creative in the things that you could do. Whereas now, there are a lot of pros and cons to being so connected over the internet and with smartphones. And I think a lot of us know what the cons are, obviously the comparison, the feeling isolated even more because all you do is stick onto your device, the FOMO that happens. And then the pros would be there are a lot more different ways to stay connected with people, especially if maybe you don't have the ability or capacity or time to go to somewhere you can still spend some time with each other through the internet or through the phone but all that aside actually Jamie I'm really curious to learn what made you interested in mental health I'm not a big fan of the mental health as like the term mental health but I I was I'm more I'm okay which is fine everyone it's you have to call it something and that's just what it's called I think um I'm really interested in what can happen when uh, you aim higher in life, right? And how does that happen? And how can you normalize that behavior at a societal level in, in what I call this empowerment culture? So 
so this this started really for me like in in my own personal journey when I had been living with asthma for my whole life since I was two, just se severe asthma. And it wasn't until like my health just started to really decline that I realized I have to take an active and participatory role in my health journey, or I am going to have a very low quality of life at a very young age. I was in my, um, I think it was mid twenties, later twenties. And just everything I had, uh, yeah, asthma was just getting out of control. I had reactive arthritis. My joints were swelling up. Um, mm -hmm. I was completely dependent on medication to live uh, and still am to a degree. But I realized that there was things I could do that could promote health and well-being and things I could do that could promote sickness and disease. And it wasn't until I realized, oh, my goodness, I have a role here in the outcome of my health journey that I started to realize what else then, what other areas of my life can I like take take action on and be a, a catalyst for change that I want to see in my life. And so that led me actually to finding my co-founder, uh, Magnus, and he he did a very similar thing where essentially biohacking your asthma. Okay, what can I do? Reducing inflammation in my body, inflammatory foods, uh, you know, long distance endurance training uh, at like a zone two, so lower heart rate training. And he, he did the same thing. And we, we started, we met at random chance on Instagram of all places. Uh, we were actually living in the same small little town in Sweden at the time. And because me, me and my wife, we had lived there for six months and, and uh, it was, we, we started to ask ourselves, okay, what could that look like at a societal level? If you could empower people to take an active participatory role in their health. And we were thinking physical health. And, and since that kind of thought experiment, that question, what could be if that happened, it, it led to this whole much bigger than us thing where we realize there is so many things in our life that can be used to partner with the side of us that wants to aim higher. And how can we just uh, nudge more of that to happen? And that's when we got into understanding that this goes well beyond just um, like a, a physical sickness or, you know, asthma. Like this goes way beyond that. And this goes into mental health. This goes into redefining and reimagining what mental health can be. What What is empowerment culture? What could that be? What if, you know, mental health wasn't the the thing that is seeking to destroy people, but what if people could use that to actually bring the most life into them. That was an interesting thought because I had, I had done a podcast in the past where I interviewed people who did basically alternative approaches to health. And so anywhere from Crohn's to cancer, people started to do an experiment with, with different things. And the common theme, and I had no idea about this before, but after interviewing these people, the common thing was the the very thing that brought the most destruction in their life, which was either cancer or Crohn's or this you know really negative thing. They were able to turn that into bringing the most um, life, or the you know the, the the most I don't know how else to describe it, but it, it, the thing that went to sought to destroy them actually made them the strongest person they ever thought they could be. And what if we had that kind of perspective uh, in life that? These things, yeah, not to not to say they're not difficult and challenging and hard, but what if it's just a perspective shift where we can realize 
maybe I can overcome this. Maybe there's hope for me. And just having that little thought of what if there is hope that this isn't something that's going to be forever, that this will pass and I can get through this? What if I had people in my life that could support and encourage that in me? And so just kind of like reimagining and, and asking ourselves these bigger questions. I know this is a long way of answering your question, but yeah, that's kind of how we got into this whole space is just thinking like, what could happen if this is encouraged? If we normalize vulnerability amongst friends, amongst peers, amongst professionals, what could that look like? And that kind of led me to to where we are now and reaching out to you and <laughs> having awesome conversations <laughs> like this. Thanks, Jamie, for sharing that. And I love how you highlighted that health can mean a lot of different things. You know, we obviously have that separation of the mental health, the physical health, and then there's also spiritual health. And there's so many Mm -hmm. different types of ways that we can care for ourselves. And I think that really is the bottom line. You know, what are the things that you can do to lead a more fulfilling life? for you to take care of yourself, not just your body, but your mind. How are Mm -hmm. you growing? How are you feeling supported? And doing all of that is what makes you, as cheesy as it sounds, a stronger person, yeah, a more resilient person. And when I say stronger, I don't just mean that physical strength, but also when things happen to you, you're able to have that elasticity. You're able to bounce from it. You're able to work through it. You're able to accept and go through these feelings and know how to work through them. I think all of that together is health you can spend all this time going to the gym you can spend all this time you know getting lasik eye surgery getting your teeth checked every year but if your mind and your soul and all those things aren't in check or you're not working on it then it doesn't matter how that outer shell of your body looks like and vice versa. If you spend a lot of time thinking about how you can overcome challenges and how you can communicate or express yourself and your feelings and your thoughts, but you're not taking care of your body, then you're going to feel some of the effects of not being healthy and well. So they all really tie in together. And a lot of people say there's that mind body connection and it's really true. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think part of life, and this is something that I try and do as a parent, is how can I teach my kids to increase their capacity to overcome difficulties? Because that literally is kind of like most of life. Like it is, it is difficult. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's one thing to, okay, yeah, I need to be strong and I need to be able to do this, but it's another thing to infuse that at an identity level. And so I tell my kids, you know, like this is going to be difficult, but guess what? Like you do difficult things and, and that's cool, right? Like when we can understand, you know, oh man, like this is going to be really difficult for me to do, uh, you know, X, Y, Z, right? We all have our thing. It's going to be really difficult but I do difficult things. Mm -hmm. And if we can get that shift from, uh, okay, this is scary and hard and difficult. Therefore it's a negative. 
and we go, well, what, what could happen if it, we go, yeah, this is going to be scary, hard and difficult, but I am someone who can overcome difficult things. I am someone who has a support network in my life to help me to, you know, face the fears that I've been running away from or uh, to really be truthful with my life and with where I'm at and ask myself the hard questions. And so it's not just, uh, you know, strengthening you as the individual um, in, in a siloed thinking. It's you're strong because not only of who you are, the identity that you have about yourself and the beliefs that you have about yourself, but but also realizing like we are tied to one another. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason why um, we're not all living isolated in the woods, right? There's a reason why uh, getting a hug from a friend or looking at someone in the eye and saying, yeah, I love you is so impactful. And, mm-hmm. and realizing like there's so much more than, than just us going through life. We can do this together. And when you can find those people um, that you can do life with, uh, yeah, the cool things happen. I just, it seems to be that you can live a more meaningful, fulfilling life. Um, when you have that, that core people that are worth living life for, uh, worth inconveniencing yourself for even. And you've put that so well, finding people who's you think it's worth living life for. And I know some people might be thinking, well, shouldn't you be living for yourself? Yes, really. And there's a whole other topic of that of it's not selfish to put yourself first. But at the same time, when we look at us as human beings, as social creatures, having that support network, having people around you who you care about and people care about you, it adds to that fulfillment piece of your life. Sure, okay, we could look at um, something we like to talk a lot about is the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you can think of it as a triangle where there are different tiers of needs that you look at in your life. Um, Well, it goes physiological, then your safety, belongingness and love esteem and self-actualization. So when I look at the belongingness and love section, which is after physiological and safety, that's where you start thinking about, are you feeling secure in your relationships and friendships with people? Do you have people who care about you when you're having a tough time? Do you have people you could reach out to? And we talk a lot about that in the therapy world, in mental health, and in support because it is important to have Mm -hmm. that kind of supportive network around you and I know I just said a whole bunch there (laughs) but I was thinking oh wait I should probably explain myself and you know for me I found that as I did get older I don't talk to 10s and 20s and 30s whatever amount of people I used to talk to before because I thought You know, I needed to show people that I cared about them. I needed to tell as many people as I can that I'm there. I'm their friend. And at one point, you realize you don't really have that much time. You don't really have that much effort to go and try to be everyone's friend. But Mm -hmm. what I have learned for me is, one, enjoying my own company, 
and alone time. And then two, just having the three or four friends that you connect with a bit regularly and then spending a bit more time with is really just what I need in my life. I don't need to talk to 10, 20 people to feel validated, to feel like I have a purpose. I have my purpose elsewhere within myself and is supported by my friends. That's how I've been able to envision myself. What is it like for you? Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. I've come to realize, okay, so, so similar to you in your last point there, yeah, when I was younger, I wanted a breadth of relationships. So I wanted like a lot of friends, um, but not, you know, maybe a, a few deep friends. And as I got older, uh, I no longer needed that. I needed just depth to friendship and having mm-hmm. just a few friends is, is fine with me. And the other thing is, I think I've also come to realize that if my goal in life is trying to aim for safety, I will have a terrible life. <laughs> that, that's just for me. I look at history, right? I love history. And there's the people that I admire are not the ones who sought safety and comfort. And I realize that life is, if my uh, process of decision-making is based on comfort, security, safety, for me, this is for me, but I will live much l- less than my potential because to aim higher, you have to risk and you have to be brave and you have to embrace the discomfort that comes with that. Um, because change is hard doing things are different that are doing different things are difficult. And so I look at history, you know, Joan of Arc, Jesus, like people who are willing to, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to die for what they believe in is something that I think is so an admirable quality. And if they sought comfort and, uh, safety, um, we would not have had those those people to look up to. And now how do you find, in, in, in the sense of that, it's not like, you know, I'm running into a battlefield or something anytime soon, but how do you balance that? And just like, there's a beautiful tension between um, comfort and um, risk that I've come to embrace and understanding like there's a rhythm between the two. And I'm living my life, the, like, the sense of purpose for me is something that comes beyond myself. Um, it's something that I could not find within me because when I am faced with the reality of who I am, I'm faced with like the hard truth that I don't have the ability in, in and of, in, in of myself to do anything that's going to be meaningful here. I will try and aim for that. And that's, that's one thing, but the reality is for me, like I, I could not do this. Um, if it was, trying to live a quote unquote good life, like whatever that means, right? But like live a good life out of the strength that's found within me. And so for me, it's been a journey of like understanding that there's something greater that is outside of me that I can grab a hold of and anchor to. I'm not here to preach or anything like like that. But for me, it's been like, yeah, this like belief in God. And um, that's kind of been like the higher purpose of you know, when I'm faced with the truth and reality of me and the decisions I've made, it's like, how, how could I overcome the the things that I've done that have been bad? And grabbing hold of something outside of myself has, for me, has been what's like given me that ability to aim higher beyond what my own limitations are, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And something that I've been wanting to ask you as you've been talking is, you know, as someone who, I, okay, I think 
it's going to sound like a huge generalization and I'm just going to put it out there for go for it <laughs> for it is we know that if we were to say between for all purposes of this podcast episode I'm just going to say female and male and as someone who's male I th- what I've seen is it's much harder to be vulnerable as you've alluded to earlier. Whereas for girls, for women, females, it's much easier for us to pick up the phone, call a friend and tell them about what's going on. But very rarely do I see that happen for our counterparts. And Yeah. yeah, I wonder what have you been doing to help or not help, but work on being more vulnerable, like you said earlier and wanting to, reach out to more people and you know kind of show them that it's okay to be vulnerable and that you're working on it too what kind of things Mm -hmm. have you done in your personal life to see that happen the biggest thing is like and this is that tension of like embracing risk or discomfort or and being brave really i mean we we we, we Mm -hmm. idolize bravery as like you know the i don't know i do anyways like the guy running into battle like you know, protecting the innocent or something, which is, which is really brave, but it is also like takes a level of courage and bravery to be vulnerable with people. And so for me, yeah, like my wife, she can call up friends and chat for hours. I'm, I have like, that is just not my default. I would feel so uncomfortable just randomly calling one of my buddies and just like, Hey, so like, what you thinking about, you know, like that's just not my thing. But, but what I, what I do find interesting is when I do stuff together with other guys or with other people, there's a level of vulnerability that comes from that experience and uh, doing things together with other people. And this is a, a huge driver for sports teams and why there's such a camaraderie within sports teams, I believe. And also with even like uh, in, in lived experience, whether it be a veterans or Alcoholics Anonymous or different groups of people who've experienced similar thing, there's a shared bond there. That's a really interesting thing. And it's a level of vulnerability and safety that comes with that because you know, man, this person's gone through the same thing I have, or we're doing this marathon together. They're struggling and I'm struggling. And Mm -hmm. when you do things together with people, it invites the opportunity or uh, it gives you an excuse to like, to build a friendship and build a relationship. So case in point, like for me, you know, just calling up some buddies or just chatting with them, just saying like, Oh, I've always wanted to do this, you know, um, 10, we saw <laughs> this, is, this is a real life example. So a couple months ago, I've been thinking, Oh, I want to try this carnivore diet. I've never done it. I, it sounds really weird, but I'm a huge fan of experimenting with health stuff. I thought, you know what? It's worked for some people. I'm going to, I want to try it. And I, I hummed and hawed about it for weeks. And then I was at a, a party with some friends and I started telling my one friend, like, yeah, like, I think I'm doing this. And he's like, oh, I'll do it with you. Then you'll actually do it and we can do it together. <laughs> and so we did 10 days of carnivore. And in the midst of that conversation, another friend came over who's been having some stomach issues. And he's like, oh, I've been looking for something. Like, I'll give this a shot. And if I'm doing it with you guys, then um, we can hold each other accountable and, you know, nudge each other along and stuff. And so we we did that and we did it for 10 days. And, um, actually his stomach issues got a whole lot better because most of that was from, um, uh, from gluten, but he, uh, but, but during those 10 days, we talked more in those 10 days than I had talked with them in the last, I'd say 10 months, because there was like a purpose and anchor point 
that brought us together to talk about and to, hey, check in on each other, you know, text each other photos of our breakfasts or whatever it was. And I realized, you know, I these are people that have been in my life just kind of sitting idle. They've been there. My wife is really good friends with their wives, but we don't have a deeper connection, me and me and these guys. But they're just waiting for an opportunity to go deep with me and for me to go deep with them. And we needed something to kind of bring us together, a common cause to sh- to mm-hmm. to to do something together with. And I've I found for me, you know, it's not like like from that experience, we have a deeper relationship now. And I do feel comfortable that I could, you know, just call them up and, and chat or whatever. And uh more so than I did before. And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like that would have been out of the ordinary anyways, but it just opened the door of like, we went through something together. We had deeper conversations. It, we brought, there's a, a level of bonding that happened. And I think with guys, maybe more so than girls, um, doing mm-hmm. stuff together opens and gives each other the excuse to be vulnerable and have an anchor point to kind of like, uh, to gather around, you know? And it's like, it's like the metaphor of like, you know, and we've all probably experienced this, right? When we're little kids, we're standing at the diving board. We're just waiting, you know, like, I, I want to jump, but I'm scared, but it's, I'm, I'm a little nervous. But, you know, having those friends or having people to like, you know, either push us off or cheer for us, it gave us the excuse to jump off the diving board and see what happens. And I think in life, so often we're standing at the end of that diving board and we're looking around for friends to cheer us on. And to say like, just jump, like we're, we're here for you, go for it, you can do it. And I think if we can normalize that behavior and we can realize that, man, there's so many other people in our life standing at the end of that diving board, waiting to jump, looking for any excuse to just jump off and see what happens. I think we could really create something special. And I think it takes a level of bravery but just reaching out to people saying, Hey, I want to do something like, I wanna, let, let's do something. Let's, you know, run a 5k or let's do a health thing or, you know, let's like do sober October or just something to do together. You'd be amazed at the level of uh, bonding that can happen and, and vulnerability that isn't like the driving force for it, but by consequence of doing stuff together, like vulnerability is normalized. And so, I encourage anyone who is looking for that and, you know, maybe there's people in your life that you haven't gone super deep with, but you see the potential, like just do stuff together, like go out for a hike or try and activate some sort of anchor point to banner, to gather around, to spur each other on, to hold each other accountable, to support one another and normalize that vulnerability. And it's pretty cool what can happen. I love that so much, especially about normalizing vulnerability. It's you don't have to suddenly call or message someone and say, "Hey, how have you been? How have you really been? What's been yeah. going on? Tell me about it." And yeah. vice versa, you don't want to suddenly just unload a lot of things to someone who might not be ready for it or have the capacity for it. But it's about, you know, do you want to do something together? and creating opportunities for you to connect, for you to break the ice, to talk more. And because like you said, your wife is really close to your friend's wives, but for the husbands, there's not so much, you know, 
you don't spend a lot of time talking to each other other than when you all see each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you and when we see each other, it's yeah. And when we see each other, it's like right back to like where we started. It's not like oh, I haven't heard from you for a week. Like it, there's no, uh, you know, resentment or like it's just like you you just pick up where you left off. But yeah, like you said, if we can, you know, supplement in between those times, um, giving each other an excuse to do something together, that's that's cool too. And at one point, it won't be an excuse anymore. It's just, you want to hang out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it goes deeper, right? It's It can start at like, let's do 10 days of, you know, the carnivore diet or whatever, or the vegan diet or whatever it is. Um, but it normalizes that, like, that kind of behavior where, like, you are supporting and encouraging one another. And I think we try so often to, like, silo mental health. And this is kind of going back to my earlier point about mental health. It's like, we've come to view it as, you know, something that's, uh, lives and breathes in a clinician's office. And, and that's why I'm like, okay, what, what, what does that look like outside of that? And that's this whole empowerment culture, which is like a culture that, you know, lives and breathes in our everyday life. Right. And it's not driven by, you know, a diagnosis or prescription, but it's like this collective understanding that human connection is essential for that part of us that wants to aim higher in life for personal growth. And it's driven by the understanding that we're not meant to live isolated from one another. I think we all know that deep down. We all know like during um, the lockdowns, like how that was so not good for people. And it, 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 it was not good because it's not, how people are meant to interact. And so what can we do where it's like the very people in our lives can be that inspiration, that excuse to aim higher, work towards, you know, the positive impacts within our own collective journeys. Right. And, and that's what we're like, as a, you know, that's what I'm really excited about seeing. Okay. What could that look like to normalize that behavior in a societal level? And, you know, that's something that us at Enable you really focused on and working on is how can, what can that look like? How can we normalize that kind of thing? And, you know, I think cool things are going to, going to happen with that. I think that would be a a net positive overall. And it's not something that has to be like labeled, right? Like mental health. It's like me, you know, go doing a, the, you know, a a 10 day diet with a couple of buddies. I would never have thought, I'm going to label this as like my 10 day mental health thing, but it totally did because it it helped my, my health, it helped my emotional well-being. It helped me connect with people and create a a positive support structure in my life. We would never, you know, it's so like we need to start bridging formal and informal uh, approaches to this. And, And instead of pushing mental health into a clinician's office, realizing that there's this, there's something different. Uh, there's this empowerment culture where people become active participatory players in their own life and it doesn't have to live and breathe in the clinician's office. Now I'm not, trust me, I am not at all trying to say anything negative about that because that is like incredibly beneficial for society. And if there wasn't that we would be in a lot worse state than we are now. But what I'm saying is the viewpoint of it only is siloed in that that is not true. And I've talked to so many clinicians, I'm sure you can attest to this too, is like, if it is, if mental health is only practiced in a clinician's office and not in the everyday life of the person, um, people will only grow more dependent on the clinician rather than 
increasing their ability to diff, to to do and handle difficult things outside of the clinician's office. And so there's there's like a movement, there's this mm-hmm. understanding of uh, bridging these formal and informal support structures together, centered around the individual and, 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 and creating that resiliency that can live and breathe in their daily life. And uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just got, <laughs> I just had to throw it out there. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jamie. And I'm going to try to summarize what we've said today, but when I think about all the great points we've touched on, if there's one thing for everyone to remember here, you know, it's creating opportunities for connection. And it doesn't mean, okay, for example, I'm a therapist. I don't go and talk to people, but hey, do you want to do this for our mental health? Or what's your <laughs> mental health like? I don't think yeah. I've ever really said that <laughs> to anybody. Good. Good. <laughs> but but every, a lot of things that we do, if not everything, is impacting or impacted by our mental health. And I know that I will say, hey, do you want to try this out with me? Or, oh, do you want to go on a walk and talk with me? We haven't talked in a while. And, or I would even say, Hey, I need some company right now. I have a lot of driving anxiety and sometimes it really helps if I call someone when I'm driving so -hmm. that I don't feel so alone. And I use that as a way to talk and connect with people and they can connect with me. And (laughs) you know, we don't need to make everything about mental health. You can just make it about seeing people, talking to people, trying something new and feeling supported. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And just being like normal with it. Right. And cause that, that reduces the stigma that makes it like meaningful to you as a person. And, um, you know, you empower the people in your life to play that supportive role. Right. By, Hey, can I call you when I'm on this long drive? Like that, that's cool for a friend to be able to be the person to give you support. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. And being able to show that vulnerability is part of the human experience, I think is something that everyone can be able to do. So thank you for highlighting that, Jamie, through your examples. Yeah. My pleasure. So Jamie, I'm wondering where can the listeners find you if they want to connect? Yeah. Um, you can go to enabledyou.io or uh, liminal, L-I-M-N-L dot app, or you can just find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not really active on Instagram or f- never on Facebook. So uh, yeah, you can find me there. And um, yeah, hopefully you'll be able to download the app pretty soon. So you can also find it there. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. And to support my podcast and help reach others, please follow and share it with anyone looking to learn more about mental health. (laughs) For any listeners who are visual learners or would like more resources, I post almost daily on my Instagram at Therapy with Shervin, and I have blog posts on shervin.ca. All right, talk to you soon, everyone. And thank you again, Jamie, for being part of the podcast. You bet. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care.